Hallelujah. Amen. This is session seven of our Saved and Set Apart study. And tonight, and we're going to do a little bit of review, and then I'm going to cover Leviticus chapter one. You know, before the break, we did a little bit of Leviticus and Numbers. We had finished Exodus, and then we did a little Leviticus and a little bit of Numbers. So we're going to kind of hit the ground uh, with a bit of a review tonight and some things that you're going to find familiar and hopefully good reminders for you. And then we're going to uh, get into a little bit of Leviticus. Probably one of the best reminders that we could, I think, begin with is our focus verse that we have for this passage, this whole study, and that's from Deuteronomy 6. And uh, we're going to memorize it again. We memorized it in the very first lesson, and we're going to do that again this time. So if you didn't get it memorized last time, this is your chance. Not only that, but I've written it for you in a Hebrew transliterated. So you can practice saying it in Hebrew. It's, it's transliterated there at the opening of your, of your lesson packet. But would you go ahead and say this with me together? And we'll open our time together saying these verses. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Job. So we're memorizing this as our focus verse all the way through this entire um, lesson this, and this entire Bible study altogether. It's a wonderful verse to have for every day, right? In fact, this verse is central to the Jewish faith, and it could be, I think, also for yours as well. I hope it's something that you'll consider um, opening your day and closing your day with this. That's the Jewish tradition, is to open their day with reciting this and to close their day reciting this. Um, before they uh, begin many of their uh, ceremonies, this is recited, and it's the last verse that is said to be on the lips of someone as they're passing away. They want this to be their last words also. What a beautiful way for you to open your day. What a wonderful way for you to close your day with this verse. And maybe think about writing it on a post-it note, put it on your mirror, and maybe put it on the center of your steering wheel, wherever, someplace where, maybe make it a screensaver and put it on your phone so you just see it all the time. But it's a verse that's central to um, both of our faiths, the faith of our Jewish brothers and sisters, whether or not they've accepted Christ, and also, of course, to us, that we would love the Lord our God with our heart and our soul and with our strength. And also, as we move forward in our study, we, we remember that we don't just do Bible study. Of course, we do it. But we do what? We dwell. Right. And so we've had this as our unifying statement of who we are. So I'd like to go ahead and say this together again um, this evening. Together we are... Women who enthusiastically and intentionally dwell in the word and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So I want to say that again, and this time I want to say it with you making it personal. So I am a woman who, say that with me. I am a woman who enthusiastically and intentionally dwells in the word and lets the word of Christ dwell in me Richly, exactly. So this Bible study is organized to give you several ways to do that. And as I write, 
that's exactly what I'm hoping and praying that we won't just do Bible study, but that we will dwell. With that, we have a focus on how we're going to accomplish that, how we're going to get there. Uh, first of all, we read it all and we read it in context. So the opening of every lesson is always this big flyover and the opening of each new section is a really big flyover. And uh, because we want to read in context rather than isolating verses and bringing them out straight out of context. If you're with us for our, our previous sermon, series but we ask as we are going through our study questions like when did this happen where was it happening who did it happen to why so we can think about that and then we do this big flyover to get the overall understanding of what's going on and then we drive through we get down on the ground and we just move and navigate through the passage and this coming lesson that you have in your hands right now is another one of those it's a really big flyover um, the study that we have Exodus through Deuteronomy takes us from Egypt to the edge of the Jordan River it takes us from two mountaintops also from Mount Sinai the beginning where we are now and it's going to end at Mount Nebo another mountain it takes us from the death of Joseph to the death of Moses so this beginning this sweeping account here there's a lot to cover in all the way through it and so as we move in as you start thinking about moving in and getting your routine going again and how many of you love that routine of that rhythm getting back into bible study i know i need it as well each bible study is an invitation to you it's an invitation in every lesson to do the following and every day is literally set out exactly like this when you open up your lesson you're going to see we begin with prayer It'll say pause and pray right at the very beginning. And I might even write out a suggestion of what you can focus on in your prayer time. But you'll pray, then you move into memorize and meditate. And you, of course, we're doing the Shema and the, the Deuteronomy passage, Hero Israel. But take the time to memorize. Use the little prompts that I give you to write it in red or do your left hand or do things like that. It helps you to do it in a new way. And then spend that time meditating on it. The next thing will always be to read. And it'll say even simply read some days that's that's it that's all you really have time for and so it's embedded into the study to give you that opportunity to just read the passage just read it and if you have and are able to and excited and move forward in that you're going to study so then you'll move down to the questions and the questions are organized to even give you a, a few that are key questions that i'll probably be using for our discussion group and those are your study questions and then we also do a section called write the word um, in the very first lesson of this session we're not going to be doing write the word but starting in um, lesson seven we're going to do that uh, you'll actually write a big portion of scripture as you maybe have been doing and then the final day of every lesson is called create and share and that's the opportunity for you to take what you have internalized to create something new think about it in a different way and then get it out there and to really share and my heart in this is to to reach all the learning styles that all of us have some of us are more left brain and the bible study is geared kind of in that way but this create and share day is really geared to activate that right brain and that creative holistic and we had fun in the last session we had you guys made matzah or some of you did <laughs> we had a good time making the matzah um, sometimes we get clay and we actually physically make something out of clay sometimes we just simply you know write out thoughts sometimes we do a, a song playlist sometimes we draw and i get notes ah, drawing but we everybody has a chance to do something new and different so i invite you to enjoy that create and really enter into the spirit of creating and sharing not only are you sharing in your group but i encourage you to send a picture of what you've done to your small group leader send a picture to me i would love that as well 
So as we move into our study, and you've seen this picture I'll show here on the screen in just a minute, offering Bible study is like offering an opportunity to eat at a buffet. And maybe you've even been on a cruise ship like this and you've had a big buffet or you go to a big yummy Sunday brunch and it's all spread out there for you. When you hit that buffet, you have the opportunity to sample every single thing that's out there. You might key in on your favorites and you might think, hmm, I never tried that. This is a good chance to try something new. The way I've written a Bible study is along those lines. It's a buffet. It's, there's a lot available to you. Take advantage of everything that you can or just key in on the things that you need and want for that particular day. But how many of you appreciate the rhythm and the routine and miss it when it's gone? Now that we're back in, I know, me too. You know what's beautiful about that is that it's embedded in our nature. It's embedded in who we are. No matter what your personality style is, there is something about rhythm and routine that speaks to us. You know what that tells me? Is God gets us. That's beautiful. That God knows our nature and embedded in how he wrote scripture and what he, how he engages with his people is this idea of rhythm and routine. And we can see it in how he saved his people. We can see it in how he set his people apart. Does this phrase sound familiar to you? Do this in remembrance of me. Mm -hmm. You've all heard that before. Probably went church when we take communion, right? And you know that. Well, you know that that do this in remembrance of me that is a slice of a part of that rhythm that God gave to his people. When did it first happen? At Passover, right? At the end of the plagues, or almost the end of the plagues, he gave them this rhythm. We, we do this in remembrance of him, of course, as we take communion, we remember the life of Jesus, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we remember what he's done for us, but it's that repetitive nature that reminds us of something huge, and I want you to key in on this. God loves us. You know how it feels when you meet someone who gets you? You're like, aww, they get me. I get them too. It makes you feel loved, doesn't it? When someone gets you, right? That's God. He gets you. That's love. That's God showing his love for you. He shows his love and how he accommodates our nature and our tendency to get complacent, to get blasé, or is that just me? <laughs> to, to, um, to go through the motions or, or worse, to just forget it altogether. What has God done? What does this even mean, right? And so embedded in God's call to his people is that signal of love for us, right? Remember when this happened back in Exodus, he said, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. Now pause right there. There was no ceremony yet. It was to become a ceremony. A ceremony was something that's repeated in a very specific way. And so he's telegraphing to them, this is going to happen every year. And he says, you're gonna observe this ceremony and when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? They're gonna ask, he's telegraphing again, then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and all the kids would go, wow, that would have been cool. And he spared our homes. What? That's amazing. And he struck down the Egyptians. Boo, hiss, right? You know, and we, it should have been a very visceral experience for all of them as they remembered all of this. This is one of the very first do this in remembrance of me 
moments in God's word. Isn't that beautiful? We need the rhythm. We need the reminders. We need to come back each year, each week even, to what's the most important. And tonight we're going to look at the opening passages in Leviticus. Leviticus continues right where Exodus left off. In fact, the very opening word, if you read it in the Hebrew, is simply the word vayikra. Can you say that? Vayikra, right? That word means, it's three words in our language, and he called. Vayikra, and he called. He meaning the Lord, and who did he call? He called to Moses and the people. The Lord called to Moses, and Moses is going to say it out to the people, and spoke to him from the tent of meaning. I'm in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to follow along in your Bible. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him in the tent of meeting. Now remember, remember the final words of Exodus. We wrapped up Exodus and what had happened? He did everything that God commanded. All the yes and all the amens. He did great. He built that tabernacle. And then what happens? God's glory fills the tabernacle. And the very next thing that we read is the Lord called to Moses, Yivayikra. Right? The Lord called to Moses, spoke to him in the tent of meeting and said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you, underline that in your Bible, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. So the final words of Exodus have us with Moses. He's in this newly completed tabernacle. The glory of the Lord has filled the tabernacle. The Lord calls Moses to the tabernacle, also called the tent of meeting, to give instructions for worship. And notice that the instructions in this chapter aren't directed to the priests. What does it say? When anyone among you, notice it doesn't say, when the men among you, it says anyone. And a little quick Hebrew lesson. When you look up the word anyone in Hebrew, guess what it means? It means anyone. When anyone among you brings an offering, this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like, all right? So who gets the instructions? Anyone. Anyone among you. The Hebrew name for the book of we, we call Leviticus is taken from the beginning of the book. Those that three words in our language. It's just Vayikra. That's what Leviticus is called if you read it in Hebrew, right? The English name Leviticus comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. How many of you have heard of that word before, the Septuagint? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, all right? So in that translation, it's Leitikon, Leitikon, and it basically means the things conserving the Levites, so that you can see the word Levite in Leviticus. But that kind of gives us the wrong idea <laughs> because the Levites isn't everything that the book is about. The very opening words begin with when anyone among you brings an offering. So the book isn't about the priests. It isn't about just the Levites. It's about anyone among you and what it's going to look like to worship God. God is ready. The people are ready. God's heart is revealed. I want a relationship with you. And so here's how that's going to look, right? Here's how that's going to be defined. The question, now that God has saved his people, how he, is how is it going to look now to be set apart? And the exciting thing that we want to keep in mind as we go through this is that God wants a relationship with us, right? Being set apart for God means that we look to him, think about him, 
know him, worship him. And that's really important. And so God's going to show what that's going to look like. So when you, when we accepted Christ as our savior, uh, we became part of God's family. And so as you're going to hear me talk through the, the book of Leviticus, you're going to hear me refer to us, even though I'm talking about the children of Israel. Um, and there's two reasons for that. First of all, I want, I want you to think about yourself as a woman who would have been living at that time, listening to Moses, listening to the laws, bringing the sacrifice and really feel that. But I also want you to realize that, that, that you are part of the children of Israel. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have accepted Christ as your savior, you have been grafted in. You've been given adoption papers. You've been adopted into that family. So you, you are part of the us, right? what that is. What's important to understand though, is that in general Christian ease, we kind of get a little bit sloppy about calling everybody a child of God. The reality is not everybody is a child of God. Everybody is God's creation. All have been made in the image of God, but only those who accepted Christ as their savior, who've been grafted in, are children of God now Amen. in that in that family. And that's a distinction I think it's gonna be important for us to make because as we move forward, we wanna tighten up our theology, we wanna tighten up our language and make sure that we're, we're understanding that. So you'll hear me say us, and when I say us, again, those two reasons. I want us to picture ourselves there, and it is us in that sense. So we are adopted into that family if you accept a Christ as your savior. So what he expected then is what he expects now. And you might put, pump the brakes on that because you've read a little bit of Leviticus and you're thinking, wait, there's a lot of like crazy rules and laws in there. Really? That applies to us now? Hang on. And I'll, I'll explain that as we move through this study about why. Because it's not in the location. It's not in the specifics since we're not in the wilderness. We're not worshiping in a tent anymore. We don't offer a sacrifice. We don't have bloody sacrifices anymore because Christ is the once and for all final okay. sacrifice. Again, we'll talk a lot more about that later. But the principles are the same. So right here at the beginning, I want us to understand a way that we're going to approach the Bible. And we've talked about this before, but it's a perfect time to review this. That there's two ways to view scripture, and these are really important and essential to our understanding. And that is understanding scripture that is prescriptive prescriptive versus descriptive and scripture is going to fall into those two categories it's prescriptive which means it prescribes for us how we should live it's exactly the points by which we should live and so it's um, it's the plan for us it's the points for us it's prescriptive it prescribed for us how we should live other passages are simply descriptive um, that means it describes something it describes how they did live who was involved. And it's not necessarily something that I'm going to go out and do likewise, as it says in scripture. So as we study through Leviticus, we're going to see words that we're going to associate with our modern day of thinking, and that might trip us up. So we're going to be careful as we do that as well. So as we study, we're going to see words like being unclean or clean, right? And it's really important that we understand that those words are used differently today than they were back then in this sense. Today we might think of unclean or clean in the sense of being hygienic. You know, like if I spill my applesauce on the dirt ground, I'm not gonna scoop it up and just eat it, right? Maybe a piece of pizza, because that's really important. But <laughs> we have hygienic and non-hygienic when we think of clean and unclean. But in Leviticus, it's not referring necessarily to hygiene, so be careful. Uh, but it's generally going to be referring to some type of a ritual state as you're reading. Holy is also used in a lot of different contexts to describe 
again, a ritual state and understanding that concept of ritual states is going to help you as you read through, because you're going to read things. You're going to think why that, that seems weird that they would make that person do, um, you know, I'd be isolated from people or not be able to touch people. Does that mean they did something bad or morally wrong? That's a completely different category. And so as you're reading, be mindful of if that passage is prescriptive or descriptive, and maybe even write that on a post-it note and put that, if you can't remember it, stick it in your Bible and to remind yourself, oh, this is prescriptive. This is for something I need to be doing, or this is descriptive and described something. Something that's prescriptive is going to be a principle that applies to me today that I should be following. And again, that's a good word that starts with the letter P that might help you to remember it. Something that's descriptive simply describes how it was done. And it's a detail, not something that I need to be necessarily doing um, in my life. So those categories are going to help you as you understand. And maybe a modern way of kind of looking at that is voting. You are registered or you are not registered to vote. If you go in to try to vote and you're not registered, you cannot vote. It doesn't mean you're a morally bad person. It just means you're not registered for this. You have to be registered in order to do this activity. It's similar to that in the Bible, clean and unclean. Does not necessarily have anything to do with someone's moral state. So hopefully that'll help you as you move into some of the passages we're going to be going to and give you some clarification. On the next slide, I'm going to give you some basic principles that are going to apply to all of the rest of the study. I'm going to breeze through them really quickly. Right now, we're not going to spend a lot of time because we're going to go over and over again through those for the rest of the study. And so feel free to take a picture of the slide up there. You can, I put it on a handout if you just want it on the handout there. But let me read these through with you. Um, the first one is God is present and God is holy. God is present and is holy is such an important concept because it would be great if God was holy and but he's not just that. He is present. And so that's an important concept for us to grasp that he is in their midst. Number two, the people of Israel are going to have to be addressing their sin. All right. Personal holiness is expected and um, they're going to need to strive for personal holiness. And you're going to see that over and over again in this book and the following books as well with Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, next is that leaders have a heavier responsibility than the lay people do. They're called to be the spiritual leaders. They're as priests, they have this big, heavy responsibility. There's huge consequences for not obeying. And you're going to see that as you do your reading as well. And they're constantly commanded over and over again to maintain their inner holiness. And what's incredible about this is that somehow in our Christian thought today in the church, we've kind of held on to that, that somehow the leaders have a, a uh, bigger responsibility. Someone might even quote, I don't wish that many of you become teachers among you because you know, the, the fear of what could happen. But the reality is God has said that if you are his and grafted in, in Christ, you are a priest. So you have the exact same burden of responsibility as I do. I'm just the one behind the pulpit. Uh, I have a burden of responsibility to teach accurately. God's going to hold me accountable for that. But in terms of us, we are all in the priesthood. We all bear that responsibility. So when you see the strict requirements that are put on priests, remember, now that you are a Christian, guess what? You're a priest, so it applies to you as well. well again, we're going to talk a lot more about that as you move forward. And then number five, ultimate purification of uncleanliness is impossible from the human side. And that should, should startle us and make us like, whoa, whoa, that's a lot. And it also should be a relief. It's impossible. So stop. 
Stop. You're not going to do it. It's not going to be possible. We have that hope in Christ who's done it for us. And we'll talk a lot more about that as well. So that should startle us and make us a little nervous, which is correct response. But because of Christ, we can be relieved as a result of that. And number six, atonement is God's grace. It's God's grace. And it's the only way that sin can be dealt with. And again, these are things that we're going we're gonna to cover a lot more as we go through. So the book of Leviticus is God giving his revelation from the tabernacle about worship that is going to happen at the tabernacle. And it's important to remember that this worship is God approved. This is how it's supposed to be done. We, uh, as Southern California people living in this century, get a little casual with our faith. Uh, churches meet in, in malls and churches, you know, meet at the beach and we got, you know, people barefoot and guitars and that look. We have this huge range of styles of worship and there's zero wrong with that. But what's exciting about Leviticus is it brings us back to the sense of awe and we, that we should have. And uh, coming back to some of those strong roots of the, the liturgy and the seriousness of being holy before a holy God. And I hope that as we go through this study, it might help us to straighten up a little bit and tighten up how we present ourselves when we're coming together for worship. And uh, I, I, I think we will. I think we're gonna see God revealing a lot to us throughout this study. But one of the things we have to keep in mind is it wasn't up to the people to decide how to, how to worship. You know, God loves creativity. We have a whole section uh, devoted to create and share. But when it comes to worship, there was no room for creativity. It would be kind of like um, you. If you were um, hired to be an artist at a studio, they'd expect you to come in and, and paint and be creative and do your designs and, and make something really clever and imaginative. But if you were hired at a bank, they're not going to want you to come in and be super creative with everybody's money. You know, this is where the, the dollars go. This is where the $100 bills go. This is where this goes. This is how you process this. There's rules about how that. God's the same way with how the tabernacle is set up and how worship is to be accepted. Uh, there's no room for creativity. You don't get to make up your own rules. You come in and you do it God's way, or as you'll see coming up in another lesson, um, or you don't end well with that. <laughs> The bottom line is, we don't know how to worship the Lord properly. God has to instruct us. This is not something we are innately born with the ability to do. We are innately born with a need to worship. And human nature is, we tend to worship ourselves. We tend to worship other things. And God says, this is what worship looks like, right? Human nature, a tendency, the things that we're born naturally able to do, no one had to give you a lesson on doing this, is lie, cheat, or steal. You never raised up your child and said, now, honey, we're going to have a lying lesson today. One of the very first things they did to you was lie or sass, right? You never had to have a lesson on that. But you have to have God to teach you how to properly worship. And he does. He teaches his people how to properly worship. God has to reveal to us what the proper approach to him and worship is. And this really should humble us. It should make us feel relieved that he did and humbled before him as we do that. God does not accept worship that doesn't follow his worship plan. We don't know where to begin. God directs us. That puts us in a state of humility to come before God and say, all right, what do you have for me? What is this going to look like? I'm yours. And that brings us to this very next 
verse, which is the perfect way to begin. Because as you read through Leviticus, you'll see all these different types of offerings and sacrifices that are brought and how they're described. But this is the very first one, and there's an important reason for it. And this is the one we're going to park on tonight. Verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of the meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. So God is giving them exactly what it's going to look like to offer this offering. And the first one he starts with is a burnt offering. He is demanding excellence. And it's not up to each individual worshiper just to kind of willy-nilly figure it out and bring it exactly how they would like. He says, this is how I want it. God's prescribing it. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Number one, I don't want it done the way the pagans do it. You just spent 400 years in Egypt watching and mimicking even perhaps the way they did it. Or you heard through oral tradition how Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or even Noah presented an offering. I'm going to spell it out to you very clearly. And so he's getting, as he's doing this, setting up a preview. And don't we all love that? We all love a preview so that when we see it happening after we've been kind of um, alerted that this is going to happen, and then we see it happen, we go, hey, I remember that. I got a hint about that. That's exactly what God's doing because he's setting up this big aha moment opportunity for all of us. Because if you're on this side of the cross, you're looking back to all of this takes place in Leviticus going, oh, I know what that points to. I know who that points to. And you start seeing it and you start making all these connections. You don't think God, as he was telling his people, knew that we'd be out here on this, at this point, having those reflection moments. It's so beautiful how we set the whole story up and creating the opportunity for us to have those aha moments. So verse three gives us the details for the worshipers to bring this bull, to bring one without blemish. And then in verse 10, we learn that you can bring a sheep, you can bring goat, you just bring it without a blemish. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, either sheep or the goats, you're to offer a male without defect. The, bringing, the meaning of bringing that animal without the blemish is that the animal is complete, the animal is whole, it's not broken, it's not defective, it's not the run of the litter, it's not maimed or blind, it's not the one that you tripped and fell and like, oh man, I guess I'll bring God this one. You are going to pick the absolute best of the best and give that to God the perfect one. And it's the entire whole animal that's laid on that altar. God's teaching them an incredible principle. And he's teaching us to the same about worshiping him. You do not bring your trash to God. God doesn't accept just everything you bring. Now, hear my heart. Again, California, Southern California, this century, how we approach, we, we get this message in our head that it's okay, do your best, just show up. And I'll tell you that, done or not done, come, right? But that is a separate category from what I'm presenting to God, right? That's completely different. We also have in our society today, this lovely phrase that makes us feel good about ourselves when we say, you are enough, you're enough, it's okay. The reality is you're not enough, you're a hot mess and God is not going to accept that. But here's the beautiful grace and beauty about that. Christ is enough for you. And so all you do is accept his enough and it is enough. And what did Christ himself say? It is what? Finished. It's done. 
I'm, I, he's seated at the right hand of the Father because it's all done. And so we don't need to make up excuses and stories about our life and how this or that should happen. And, oh, you know, at least I'm enough. Nope. Turns out you're not. And that actually is better than trying to lie to yourself and say that you are enough. So we're going to be careful. We're going to tighten up how we talk about that. We're going to acknowledge that I'm not, and it's okay, and it's actually better because Christ is enough for us. But God expects our best, not broken and beaten up and wounded. And here's the deal. When you accepted Christ, you're no longer broken and beaten up. You're no longer wounded. You are made perfect by the blood of Christ, and God sees you covered in the blood of Christ. So it's not like you'll never be able to make it. You're right. You won't. But good thing Christ did that for you, right? So we come and we bring God our very best is the principle we can have for this. And that's exactly what he expects. And that's exactly what he provided in Christ for us. So we have to be careful that we're not giving our leftovers to God, that we're not heartless and we're not mindless in how we do things. We present our absolute best, just like they were expected to on this altar. So when they would come to the altar, they would... Uh, move forward and remember who's who's bringing these burnt offerings the priests anyone anyone who brings and that person is to lay their hand on the head of that burnt offering and then it'll be accepted on your behalf to make an atonement to have at one meant for you which is what that what the idea means. This is 13 times repeated. When it's done this way, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In the first nine chapters alone, it says a pleasing aroma, a pleasing aroma when the burnt offering is offered in this way. Verse three tells us the burnt offering was needed to be accepted before the Lord. So if you picture it, the burnt offering was the very first thing as you walked into the tent of meeting, entering into that east gate, the burnt offering would be set up right there. All these people would be offering their offerings Men, women, everybody bringing their offerings before the Lord, the poorest of the poor who could barely afford to get anything at least can find a turtle dove because a kid could run around and catch a turtle dove and bring it all the way to the wealthiest person who could afford to give a full bowl. But everyone's expected to come. If you want to approach God, that entire animal has to be consumed and placed upon that altar. Atonement means to cover and carries the idea of the covering of the sins for the worshiper and covering up the guilt of the people. But it wasn't only in the burnt offering in a moment of sin, because later on you're going to read that the tabernacle itself had to have atonement. The tabernacle can't sin. So it isn't always an only about sin. But what it is, is that animal dying on your behalf. That animal is dying because of the, the need for atonement, the need for atonement. Um, that animal is no longer God's, uh, no longer mine. It's fully God's. It's completely given over to him. But listen, not the priest. The worshiper does the slaughtering. The worshiper cuts it into pieces. The worshiper washes the entrails and the legs with water. The worshiper is the one that's directly involved in getting that animal onto the altar. After that, the priest would take the blood and splash it up on the altar. But it was the worshiper who cut that animal into pieces. And um, again, the, the blood is collected later, and then the priest splashed the blood up on the, on the altar, and that's what was required to be acceptable worship to God. Beautiful thing about what God is offering is that there's no obstacle. Anyone from any level of society, the richest to the poorest, can bring something. We don't have to 
feel like God's presenting obstacles that people can't get through, we have to accept God and say, thank you that you provided a way for all of us. That burnt offering of a bull, all the way down to the little turtle dove that people are able to, to bring to God. And God's teaching his people something extremely important. He wants worshipers. There's no obstacle to worshiping God. There's no barrier to worshiping God. If you didn't have a bull, you could bring a sheep. If you didn't have a sheep, you could bring a little goat. If you didn't have a little goat, you bring the, the bird and all that. So God provides a way for all of us to be able to worship him. And the requirements aren't so far and out of reach that people can't do it. Just like what Christ said in John chapter 4, which will be exciting because we're in John on Sundays. And when we get to this verse, you'll be like, hey, I already know what that means. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. Listen, we know now that it isn't just about that bull being offered because Christ covered all those sacrifices. If it was that important, he would be continuing to do it to this day. But God made sure that was going to end with Christ because it was always about the heart of the worshiper. Always about that. Because why? The Lord is seeking such people to worship him. That last part of that verse, what does he want? True worshipers. Psalm 149.4, why? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He takes pleasure. He desires for all people to come before him. He leads us to recognize that there's no excuse to not worshiping God. God doesn't want anything to get in the way of our worshiping. So nothing in your life can keep, should keep you from the sense of I can come before God. And that's the message over and over and over again in Leviticus in verse 9, we read that you're to wash the internal organs, the legs with water. The priest is going to burn it all on the altar. It's a burnt offering, a food offering, aroma pleasing to the Lord. You're to wash the internal organs. He repeats it again in verse 13. The priest is going to bring it all. He's going to burn it. The burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Nothing was given back to the priest or the worshiper. When that animal was placed on the altar, it was fully consumed. There's other offerings that we're going to read about that you're, they're going to get something back. The worshiper will. The priest will get his portion out of that. Um, but in this particular offering, the burnt offering, everything is consumed. Everything is given to God. And that burnt offering is picturing exactly what Moses says later on in Deuteronomy when he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord? to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. What does God ask of you? Everything. Everything. When that animal was placed on the altar and nothing was kept back for the worshiper, it was a reminder to the worshiper that everything goes out. Everything is out on that altar to God. There's, and it opens the gateway for you to have a conversation with God. Listen, God could have started with any one of the offerings and ordered them in any particular way, but he started with the burnt offering because this is the way to have access to God. Everything goes to him. And then we have the peace offering. Then we have the grain offering. We have other offerings that come into play. But this one here is the one that opens up the communication to God. When you say, I'll give it all to you. Every, everything I can give to you, I'm going to put it out on the altar. I'm going to give everything to you. What does God ask of you? everything. And what did Paul teach us? The exact same thing when he wrote in Romans, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your big toe. <laughs> no, to present what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And here's what's exciting about this. 
When an animal was placed on the altar in Leviticus, when God first talks about these burnt offerings, that animal wasn't a living sacrifice. It was a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice is an oxy, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't go together. But that's exactly what we are. Why? Why am I a living sacrifice? Why am I not dead? Well, I'm not dead physically. I'm alive in Christ. I am dead to sin. And I'm alive in Christ. Why am I not dead? Because Christ conquered death, right? He became sin on my behalf, who knew no sin. So that I can present my body as a living sacrifice, and that is holy, and that is acceptable or pleasing to God. That is spiritual worship. That's exactly what God requires. At the end of each of the descriptions of all the different burnt offerings, we learn that the offering is always pleasing aroma to God, that God would accept that sacrifice of worship. And it always signified obedience, obedience to God. And that's what resulted in God's favor toward people and there as they presented their offering and Paul echoes this again in Ephesians when he writes therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a what a fragrant a pleasing fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God once and for all Jesus is the one who laid out that full and complete sacrifice he's the offering that God would accept to make atonement <coughs> for the people he's the lamb without blemish. It takes away the sins of the world because he walked in perfect and total obedience. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. Through Jesus, we learn the laws. We learn the commandments of the Lord. Through the death of Jesus, there's no obstacle then that stands in our way to worshiping God. And we should look at those laws and requirements, not as silly old rituals, but of God's beautiful truth of how he made a way for all of us to worship him. The commands that God required then foreshadow that time when Jesus is our Messiah and he fulfills everything in there. Just think of how beautiful God was to give us this little shout out. This is gonna get really good wait for it, right? All the aha moments, just as the burnt offerings are made so that the people could approach God, Jesus accomplishes the same thing. Why? So that we can approach God, right? And the writer of Hebrews repeats it six different times in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to wrap up with this lesson with what he says. He says, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Then let us with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does God want? Worshippers. Worshippers. God is seeking worshippers. God wants our entire life to be a living sacrifice to him. And that is exactly what we can accomplish when we have Jesus. And I pray that as you go home, as you begin your study this time, as you're reading through Leviticus, you are in awe of everything that God provided so that we can come before him and worship him. And that Jesus fulfilled every single sacrifice that we're going to be reading about. And help ask God to help you to understand how it's all fulfilled in Christ. Let's go ahead and pray.